We've seen it all before. An older person comes into the hospital confused. A&O times zero. No cough, chest x-ray, pretty normal. No headache, no high fevers. No rashes. No GI symptoms. And so far, we've got nothing to go on but a confused older person with a nonspecific exam. So now what, Steve? A knock on head CT? A lumbar puncture? A neuroconsult? I... Oh, thank God. What? Uh, the UA just came back positive. Oh, phew. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's just a few whites, actually. But <laughs> close enough? Well, yeah. Positive UA and altered mental status. Technically, that's a UTI, right? Yeah, we're good. No more thinking is necessary. Let's start the septriaxone, drop the note, and get out of here. We're done. Or are we? Hi, and welcome to Mind the Gap. Today, we're going to be talking all about pee. Joining us today is head aficionado of pee and pee-related topics, Charlie <laughs> Madeira. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> nice intro, Charlie. So Charlie and I were out getting drinks the other day, and we got on the subject of UTIs, asymptomatic bacteria, and delirium, because we're really cool like that. Yeah, I can't wait until the next time we all hang out. <laughs> it's so much to talk about. Yeah, well, you know, it's just like you were talking about in the intro. We often like to say that urine is the cause of delirium, but it's a hard thing to confirm. That's why I like to use the term UTI, that's in air quotes, when I see a case like this. Charlie, you realize nobody can see the air quotes you just did, right? <laughs> okay, well, regardless, that's exactly what we're going to be talking talking about today. So our lessons today are... Number one, before we get carried away with infection, let's cover the basics and define bacteriuria, pyuria, and urinary tract infection. Uh, and second, we're going to explore how common bacteriuria and delirium are. And number three, the crux of the talk, how does delirium relate to UTIs and what is the evidence? So let's jump into the confusing world of the chicken and the UTI. <laughs> Thanks, <Steve>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Janine Knudsen. And I'm Steve Luke. And I'm Charlie Madeira. Thanks to Dr. Ellie Carmody and Dr. Tanya Cooperman of Infectious Disease at NYU for peer-reviewing this podcast. I think one of the easiest things to slip up on is conflating a urinary tract infection with pyuria and bacteriuria. In medicine, we're often trying to use all these phrases, but when was the last time you actually reviewed some of the definitions of all the terms that we use? So, let's start with bacteriuria. Bacteriuria is what its name suggests, bacteria in the urine. But what clinicians need to really figure out is if the bacteria is actually causing infection or just coming from contamination around the urethra. Asymptomatic bacteriuria really refers to bacteria in the urine that we don't think is causing symptoms. And a super strict definition of this asymptomatic bacteriuria is more than 100,000 colony-forming units per millimeter on a urine culture. Thanks, IDSA. But for a UTI, what really matters is if you have symptoms. The number of bacteria are less important. So even if it's as low as 100 colony-forming units, as long as the clinical context is right, maybe you should treat that. Other examples, including prior to a urologic procedure that might cause bleeding and increase the risk of bacteremia, or pregnancy, these are both cases where you want to treat bacteriuria. Uh, even if it's well under 100,000. And even if it's asymptomatic. But because urine cultures can take a few days to grow, leukocyte esterase and nitrate are clinically used to predict bacteriuria, and therefore they can clinically correlate to urinary tract infection. 
and they're pretty good. They actually have around 70 to 80% sensitivity and specificity, recognizing that nitrites more specifically predict gram-negative bacteria. That's not really that good. Are you serious? Oh, 70%? 70%? <laughs> That's a really Charlie quote. Okay, well, okay. so be careful because other organisms like Enterococcus and even some gram-negatives like Pseudomonas, they're not going to give you positive nitrites. Steropyuria, on the other hand, does not involve bacteriuria. Yeah, hence sterile. Okay. <laughs> Remember, we say that sterile, uh, not because nothing is there, but because nothing grew out. Pyuria also suggests inflammation of the urinary tract and means seeing more than 5 to 10 white blood cells per high power field. So lastly, we arrive at a urinary tract infection. This is primarily defined by symptoms, but we often expect some bacteriuria and pyuria as well. Okay, well, if we're using this time to define things, we should really be specific. Yeah, UTI is a catch-all term. After all, the urinary tract is more than one structure. Uh, so in general, what we really mean is cystitis. And one key point to understand with all of this, and this is something I didn't understand for a long time, is that it is very common for patients with asymptomatic bacteriuria to also have pyuria. Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that you can have both bacteria and pyuria on a urinalysis, and it doesn't always mean you have a urinary tract infection? Exactly. Believe it or not, pyuria is present in 90% of nursing home patients and 70% of diabetic women with asymptomatic bacteriuria, but more on those numbers later. Wow. Well, that makes sense. So the crux of our talk is that to diagnose a UTI, you need a symptom, just like you wouldn't diagnose pneumonia based on a chest x-ray alone with no cough, no fever, or sputum production. Ah, I think I'm finally getting some clarity here. Uh, that was actually a pretty big point of confusion for me. After all, in outpatient management, to quote up to date, for most women with suspected acute simple cystitis, particularly those with classical symptoms, no additional testing is warranted to make the diagnosis. So just to list the symptoms, we normally think of them as dysuria, increased urinary frequency or urgency, hematuria, and suprapubic or costovertebral angle pain, or delirium in the elderly uh, when we're talking about genital urinary infections. But there's a catch-22 with delirium. The thing is, if somebody's altered, how do you interpret their delirium and get at symptoms that they may or may not be able to communicate? And to be clear, we're not saying that delirium isn't a commonly assigned finding of a UTI. But the point stands that it's a lot more nuanced than we make it out to be. We often equate delirium with symptoms when it isn't necessarily the case. I think we need to rectify this with a new term. And we'll let Charlie coin this one since it was his idea. Go <laughs> for Charlie. All right. I've had this ready to go for a while. <laughs> Bacteriuria and pyuria of unknown significance. You'd use that term if you have a patient with either a positive culture or pyuria, who also has delirium or dementia. B pus. I like it. Sounds cool. <laughs> okay, just another way we can spread confusion to a whole new generation of medical professionals. But we're not just completely being silly here. You know how we have angina equivalents for chest pain? Well, delirium is basically that for UTIs. Uh, I hate that term, anginal equivalence. Oh, what, yeah. anginal? No, anginal equivalence, the worst. Okay, well, yeah, stay tuned for a future episode on chest pain. Okay, now that we've cleared up definitions, let's talk about asymptomatic bacteriuria. It's even more common than you'd think. In the elderly, data from observational trials suggests an incidence between 11 to 16% in women and 4 to 19% in men. And so here we're citing data from the IDSA guidelines on diagnosis and management of asymptomatic bacteriuria in adults. And quick note, these IDSA guidelines date back from 2005 and are in the process of being updated. So stay tuned. 
They pulled the data from Dr. Lindsay Nicole's article in 2003, which in turn pulled data from her article in 1997, which in turn cited a number of epidemiological articles from as early as the 1960s to 1980s. The 60s and the 80s? It sounds like they really need that update. <laughs> <laughs> so... Our definition of elderly, established in this case by the IDSA, is defined as an age greater than 70. Yeah, younger women, so age 50 to 69, tended to have a far lower probability of asymptomatic bacteria, mainly around 4 to 6 percent. Also, did you note the wide range for men? Yeah, 4 to 19 percent. What, what's up with that? Well, it appears that most populations of men tended to be on the lower end of those numbers. And the higher numbers came from the U.S., primarily the population of U.S. Veterans Affairs outpatients, using a 75-year-old cutoff here. And there's another observational study from the 1990s that had a higher rates of bacteriuria, ranging from 20 to 50 percent. Perhaps not surprisingly, it included institutionalized patients. Meaning patients in skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes. All we're trying to highlight here is that asymptomatic bacteriuria is pretty common. And unfortunately, it's the most common in people with underlying comorbidities who often require advanced medical care. What's confusing is whether or not this is always clinically relevant. Delirium in the elderly is is also very common. One study showed delirium occurs in up to 50% of the postoperative elderly. And on top of that, up to a quarter of admissions among the elderly in the U.S. are for delirium. So given how common they both are, it really shouldn't be a surprise then that bacteriuria and UTI have been linked. And I want to be clear. It's not to say that this doesn't make sense to do this, but many things can be common and overlap that don't always cause each other. Similar to our discussion on Vanco and AKI from last time. Yeah, we're all about themes here, right, Steve? It reminds me of one of the first episodes of The West Wing, actually, which is a phenomenal show. And the name of it is post Oc Ergo Propter Oc. And the whole idea here is that just because two things are temporally related doesn't mean that they actually influence one another. Steve, you realize that nobody understands what you're talking about with that example. It's <laughs> a great show. Is it? It's good. I never saw it. <laughs> a better example is something I heard recently. People think that there are more births on a full moon, but actually they're just trying to connect two very common things. Okay, back to science. We reviewed how common delirium is in the elderly. The reason for this is that delirium has a complex multifactorial pathophysiology. This relates to dysregulation of neurotransmitters from inflammation, metabolic derangements, and physiological stressors. It directly correlates to hepatic, renal, and cardiac impairment via the acute inflammatory response and can be seen in many infections. The elderly are especially vulnerable to these impairments, even without an inflammatory response. Observational data suggests that 17 to 31 percent of patients with acute decompensated heart failure can present with delirium. And even in the realm of infectious disease, delirium isn't restricted to UTI. Pneumonias can just as frequently cause delirium. So check out our citations in the show notes for the sources of all that data. Just a quick word from our sponsor. We all want to eat healthier, but let's be honest. Between our busy schedule and the endless prep and cleanup, it feels kind of out of our reach. You know, we often are aiming for better nutrition, but end up compromising for quick fixes that are anything but healthy. Now, imagine a different scenario. Picture a day where you're coming home to gourmet, nutritious meals that are ready in just two minutes. With Factors, that is possible. Factors delivers delicious, chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals right to your door, ready to heat in just two minutes, giving you over 35 weekly options to choose from, from calorie smart to protein plus to keto. And don't forget, they have 60 plus add-ons for an extra boost from breakfast to midday bites. So you're not spending all your time and money in the hospital's cafeteria. 
So no prep, no mess, just real mouthwatering meals tailored to fit your schedule and dietary needs. With fact, you're not just saving time, but you're elevating your meal game without the hassle of cooking. Head to factormeals.com slash Coriam50. Use the code Coriam50 to get 50% off. That's the code Coriam50 at factormeals.com slash Coriam50. Okay, so now we've established lots of things can cause delirium. Let's get back to our original conundrum. A person with pyuria walks into the hospital with delirium. Is it a UTI? <laughs> this just sounds like a horrible joke, like a lead-in. Like, oh, a person walks into a bar. Get it? <laughs> Steve, be nice. Um, okay. Well, to answer the question, Occam's razor says, sure. Uh, but let's challenge that common association. Like our colleagues at Hoofbeats, Riley noted, Hickam's dictum, my favorite, says maybe not. So let's get down to some data. A systematic review from 2014 entitled Delirium, a Symptom of the UTI in the Elderly, Fact or Fable. Try to address this. Here they explored the paucity of data addressing the common association between UTI and delirium. Uh, and they found only five studies meeting criteria to evaluate this. On the surface, they noted that there was a clear correlation between UTI and delirium. And quoting the article, of patients with delirium, UTI rates ranged from 15 to 32 percent, compared to a rate of only 13 percent in those without delirium. And conversely, of those with UTI, delirium rates ranged from 30 to 35 percent. In those without UTI, it was only 8 percent. But not so fast, my friend. <laughs> it's not that simple. In fact, the authors were quick to critique the data they had collected. Uh, first, most studies didn't adjust for risk factors of delirium. Another critique of the data reflected on the use of ICD-9 codes in chart review for diagnosis, making it very difficult to ensure diagnostic accuracy. Yeah, just think about how rigorous you were about differentiating pyuria from UTI when you were a resident at 2 a.m. admitting a patient. And lastly, they noted that the commonly held belief linking UTI and delirium may also explain why they found an association between UTI and delirium. It's pretty meta. So you're saying this is confirmation bias? I think I can confirm that, Janine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. So the authors ultimately didn't dispute that the two are associated. They just challenged the strength of this relationship. One trial of the five they looked at did a good job of trying to control for multiple other risk factors. And this one showed an odds ratio of 1.9. And if you look at the multivariate analysis they did, it suggested that UTI was actually the weakest risk factor for delirium. As compared to Alzheimer's, dementia, multi-infarct dementia, depression, and heart failure. And this phenomenon is seen in many other studies on delirium. Yeah, and there's an observational trial from 1992. Wait, 1992? It's an older trial, ma'am, but it checks out. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> that trial found that cardiovascular causes were a more common driver of delirium than UTI. And in a much, much more modern trial from 1997... Thanks, Steve. It's called The Natural History of Delirium in Older Hospitalized Patients, a Syndrome of Heterogeneity. Found that in a cohort of elderly hospitalized patients that the incidence of delirium was around 15%. And a majority of the episodes were attributed to medications, not UTI. And this reinforces our point that other causes really need to be considered. Yeah, it's now the third trial we've mentioned where infection was not the most common cause of delirium. But to play devil's advocate, if they get better with antibiotics, doesn't that suggest that the delirium was from the urine findings? Well, maybe, but sometimes the patient could have gotten better on their own. You could have treated another infection. You could have given them fluids and corrected a different problem. 
But let me give you another really great study. The treatment of asymptomatic UTI in older delirious medical inpatients, a prospective cohort study. This was from 2017. <laughs> Perfect. So this cohort study followed about 350 delirious patients in the hospital. 27% of them were treated for asymptomatic bacteriuria and did no better than those that weren't treated. Well, I don't love this study because actually it's a subgroup analysis. Only a subset, like 30% of patients had bacteriuria, but it's the best we could find. And by far the most modern. Exactly. And it showed that the patients who were treated with antibiotics had higher rates of C. diff, up to 7%. Okay, well, we want to be clear that we're not advocating for avoiding antibiotics in a delirious patient, especially if you think they have an infection. Mainly, we want you to keep an open mind to other diagnoses. Yeah, that's a great point. I can't tell you how many times a patient was admitted with a diagnosis of delirium from UTI, and I found there were much other compelling reasons for their confusion that wouldn't have been addressed if we had just accepted the initial diagnosis that the emergency room gave us. So as a final point, please stop those antibiotics if the urine culture comes back negative. Yeah, you tell them, Charlie. And even sometimes if it is positive, if your clinical suspicion is leading you to a different diagnosis. As Smokey the Bear once told us, only you can prevent the unnecessary use of antibiotics. I really don't think that's what he said, Steve. <laughs> Maybe he should have, Charlie. Maybe he should have. <laughs> Real talk. <laughs> so, to restate our objectives for today's talk. Number one, we hope that you know the definition of significant bacteriuria, asymptomatic bacteriuria, pyuria, and UTI. Which essentially is symptomatic bacteriuria. Asymptomatic bacteriuria is technically a urine culture of greater than 100,000 colony-forming units per millimeter in a patient without signs or symptoms related to the urinary tract. Though in the right clinical context, a lower concentration can be considered significant. And so pyuria is greater than 5 to 10 white blood cells on UA. And UTI is the presence of symptoms referable to the urinary tract, along with significant bacteriuria and pyuria. Remember that symptoms are the key, not colony counts. Right. We treat people, not numbers. And learning point number two, delirium is common, and abnormal urine labs are also common. And finally, learning point number three, the two do not always mean UTI. Hashtag B pus. <laughs> or as I like to say, Amazing. hash brown B pus. B pus for <laughs> So as always, we want to encourage you to check out the data too. Take a look at the links below the podcast on the Clinical Correlations website so you can take the time to judge the data for yourself and sound smart on rounds. Super smart. After all, this is a podcast talking about those gaps in our knowledge because you only heard it the one time. So if you really want to feel confident in the data, take the time to pick it apart yourself. And if there are any other topics you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. I'm Steve Liu. And I'm Janine Knudsen. And remember, mind the gaps. Thanks for listening. Disclaimer. Opinions in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of NYU or other affiliated institutions. Please do not use this podcast for medical advice, but instead consult with your healthcare provider.
Well, we're not just being completely silly here. You know we have angina. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Is it or Angina or just, Angina? Just, it's Angina. Oh, that's definitely <laughs> going in the bloopers. <laughs> angina. <laughs> All right, ready? Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> say what you want. Uh, <laughs> okay. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 